0: The following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. Today, we're we're kind of veering off of our study of Acts, and we're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians today. It's been a while since we have studied the Lord's Supper. And so, since today we're actually observing the Lord's Supper, I thought it would be appropriate to take another look back at what uh, the Bible teaches us about this um, ordinance, this sacrament, as some call it. Uh, The Lord tells us when he instituted the Supper, if you go back and read the Gospels, you'll see information of Jesus instituting this the night he was going to be betrayed, and you'll see different accounts and, and different uh, things that are are brought out, details of that moment and how Jesus handles that with his disciples. And then you come over here to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and you see Paul writing these instructions to a church and telling them uh, kind of a, a retelling of the story and uh, reminding them of what Jesus said, why he said it, and how we approach something like this. And, and here's why this is important. Uh, I, I would venture to say that most everyone in here today has either, you, you'll, you'll be in one of these two categories, you've either personally participated in the Lord's Supper, probably many times or at least once, or you have been present in a church service when the Lord's Supper was Observed, and so you either participated or you observed it. You saw it, uh, and you heard what was said, and you saw what was done. And regardless of your level of understanding of what was happening, hopefully, hopefully the, the preacher did a good job of explaining what was happening, and so you could know what was being done and why it was being done, the significance, because that's really what we're after, is what's significant about this. Because we can do a lot of things. But if we don't understand why we're doing them and the purpose behind it and then the, the result that we hope to gain from the experience, then most likely we're going to miss out. We're going to miss out either in our minds and our hearts. We're not going to experience what we're supposed to experience or what God intended for us to experience or we're just going to misunderstand it and we're going to walk away thinking, well, okay, well, that was nice, but what, what really went on there? What, what did we do? Why did we do Why do churches do that? And so we want to answer those questions strictly from Scripture. We want to see, what does God tell us? Because honestly, I can give you my opinion, and it'll be worth nothing. Uh, but I can tell you and read to you what God says And that's what's important. So if you'll follow me along here in the Scriptures, uh, we're going to be in chapter 11, beginning of verse 23, and knowing that... uh, I'll say a little bit about that in just a moment, about the the type of church here where Paul's writing, and a little bit of context. But uh, first of all, the Scripture. Chapter 11, 1 Corinthians, verse 23. Here's what Paul writes as he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. For I received of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the lord's death until he comes therefore whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the lord but a man must examine himself and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup for he who eats and drinks eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number have died. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray today that in these next few moments you would give us uh, understanding of your word, that you'd help us to understand what it is you inspired Paul to tell the church and by extension what this word tells us. And after we understand, Lord, I pray you'd help us to be obedient, that we would be uh, mindful of everything you've said here. Lord, I pray you just help us to live more like Jesus, not just while we're here, but every day. We need your help to do that, Lord, so we pray you would help us in Jesus' name, amen. Now, there's all kind of things, little details in this text, and one thing that we want to understand before we look at several purposes that we find in the text for this uh, observance here is Understand a little bit about what's, what's being said and to whom it's being said. So this city, we've said it before, anytime we're in this, this book, or 1st or 2nd Corinthians, we know some things about this church and this city. Here's what we know. Corinth was a very uh, wicked place. Uh, oftentimes I have compared it to, uh, just for, just for uh, understanding, compared it to modern day, like you would think of something like Las Vegas. And nothing against Las Vegas, but it does have a, a nickname, Sin City, right? So uh, it, made all, it made all these, it was a whole advertising campaign. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. You know, it's like, it's almost like it understood. If you go to Vegas, you've got to try really hard to stay away from some things, right? It's not just like any other city. So Corinth is similar to that. There's a lot of wickedness, a lot of things going on in that city. So understand then a church being right in the middle of all that. So what would you think the major worry would be, the main danger for this church? It would be not letting the culture influence the church because the church is supposed to influence the culture, right? The church is supposed to be a light in the darkness and to make a positive change by being a godly influence to the community in which it resides. So that's what the church is supposed to do, but the only problem is... That's really difficult in this context because there's a lot of things happening in this city that are not good. So Paul's writing to them, and, and as you read through these two letters, uh, you'll see different instances where that kind of comes through and you realize, man, that must be really difficult for that church to be trying to function, living for Christ in such a, an environment. So that's who Paul's writing to, and he's telling them what he received straight from the Lord. So he's giving them instructions. He's making sure they know. It's not my opinion of all the things he tells them. Like, a matter of fact, even when he, he gets over to chapter 15, uh, he, he preaches the gospel to them. And uh, this is just a, a note for, for illustration's sake. He kind of says a similar thing. He says, I'm giving you, I'm making known to you the gospel which I preach to you, which you receive, which you, in which you stand, by which you're saved. And he says in verse 3, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. So understand, Paul's making clear in all these teachings, all this help he's given to the church, he's making very clear it's not his opinion, it's not his uh, idea uh, of what you ought to do. This is what he received from Jesus. Okay, so his time... Uh, serving as an apostle in, in the book of Acts, we're about to get to that point in Acts. We're we're going to be next week in Acts chapter six, so we're getting close. Okay, we're getting close to when Paul Saul gets saved. Okay, we got a few more weeks till we get there, but uh, you're going to see then how he's transformed and begins this journey of planting churches, being a missionary, preaching the gospel, and then where all these letters came from in our New Testament. And so that's going to be really interesting. But the first thing we want to see in this text is Paul is bringing a message to the church about the Lord's Supper straight from Jesus himself. So who better to get the information from than the person who instituted it, right? That's what Jesus did the night he was betrayed. So Paul says, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, and then he starts explaining. So as he explains, there are... Uh, there's a lot of detail that we'll talk about here in the next few minutes, but I want you to see six major purposes in this observance. Purposes that we can understand. What are we supposed to accomplish? Because I'll tell you this, and I think you already know, this is way more than just sipping some grape juice and chewing on a often stale wafer. You know that some. It symbolizes something. this. This is not that, okay? This is more than just physically what's happening here. This is primarily a spiritual exercise. Okay? So we have to be careful. First of all, from a human standpoint, we don't want to get distracted by the physical elements to where we miss the spiritual truth. Okay? This is a... This observance, this whole act of what we're preparing to do here in a few minutes, is, uh, it's a solemn occasion, and it has great meaning and purpose, so we don't want to miss that. Okay? So there's six purposes, and you see them right off the bat uh, when we get into verse, the end of verse 23 and the first part of verse 24. Number one, the first purpose, thank God for salvation. Uh, that, that, was a, uh, that is a great uh, principle just to remember not just today, but every day. If you are a believer, if you have been forgiven of your sin and promised eternal life in heaven, and you walk in the reality of a relationship with Jesus Christ, you need to be thanking God for that salvation every day. Because that's not something that just happened. And it's not something that's automatic. It's a gift from God. It's a blessing. It's The the most significant blessing we can receive in life is forgiveness from Jesus because of His sacrifice. And so the very first purpose, thank God for salvation. Just as a head of a household or a father might do before a meal, verse 24 says very specifically, the Lord Jesus, the night which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, very first thing, first thing he did, he gave thanks. Now he was the one, remember, he was the one that was going to provide the sacrifice and the salvation. He was going to accomplish that, but he's still giving thanks to the Heavenly Father as if to say, the whole plan, the whole redemption plan, everything that's about to happen, thank you. Thank you, because Jesus knew more than anyone it was going to be successful. It was going to accomplish what he set forth to accomplish. So Jesus had given thanks before he continued with the actual process of the Supper. So the first importance is the first important activity in which the church is to participate at the time of the Lord's Supper is this is where we get the word Eucharist. You ever heard that? Eucharist means Giving thanks. This is a Eucharistic activity. It's offering of thanksgiving to God. So the first purpose when we come to this table is to thank God for salvation. Number two, celebrate the unity of the body of Christ. Verses 24 and 25, Jesus broke the bread. It was a singular loaf of bread. Jesus passed the cup. It was one cup. And so we see here what he did. Just just note the language. See the symbolism that's inherent in these words. It was the night he was betrayed when he did this. Jesus knows what's going to happen. And he's presenting this picture to his disciples. It says he took the bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it. You see the significance? His body was about to be broken for the sake of sinners. And so he broke the bread. He gave thanks, then he broke the bread. It's almost like it's a foreshadowing. This is my body, which is for you. Some translations say, which is broken for you. So they tie that together so you don't miss it. He broke the bread and he said, this is my body. It's for you. It's for you. He says, do this in remembrance of me. So what do we see when we see what happens to his body? When we see what he says about the cup? We can see there's unity. He said, it's, it's for you. So how are we experiencing unity? It's because of Jesus. You ever, you ever remember that? That song starts out, "Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love." You know what that is? You know what the tie that binds our hearts together is? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. If if you're if you're here, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, then you are you are in a staging area. You're in a preparation area where you can become a member of the family of God. But if you have already entered into a relationship with Christ, then you are bound together by a tie that is not breakable in human terms. See, Jesus makes very clear, I'll use the the Gospel of John as as a primary example My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they know me. And and Jesus says, no one will pluck them out of my hand. And then he says, the Father is greater than all, and no one will pluck them out of the Father's hand. You know what? That's an absolute statement. When, When Jesus saves you and snatches you out of the fire... That's a permanent act. That's why we believe how the Bible teaches eternal security. Because here's a little truth that will always be a truth. Uh, we we like we've we've over the years developed this phrase: once saved, always saved. Well, I think that's a little misleading, because oftentimes people. Um, maybe trust in the wrong thing. They're not, they're not clear on trusting in Jesus, following Jesus, and they think they've got a fire insurance policy, they're going to tuck it in their back pocket and just go on about their lives and forget about everything and not even live for Jesus. Well, that, that's, a, that's a, an illusion. I think it, it might be better stated this way. If saved, always saved. It, but, and here's why I say it that way. If Jesus Christ Genuinely convert somebody and save somebody, they're saved. That's just, that's, that, that's, he, here's why that's important. And, and this is kind of getting off track a little bit, and, and I'll, I'll jump back on the trail here in just a moment. God saved me. He, he saved me. He paid the price for my sins. And so I know that the only way now that, it, that I can stop being saved is if. God stops being God. Because he, he is so. If it was up to me and my goodness to make sure I stay saved, <laughs> you know what would happen? I wouldn't. That's why Jesus died for me. Jesus and His death on the cross is a declaration. I did this because you can't do it on your own. You can't be good enough. Why do you think we started out here with thanking God for salvation, not thinking, well, I'm so glad I'm a good person. I'm so glad I did more good than I did bad in life because once my good outweighs my bad, I'm good. I'm in heaven. I'm I'm all right. That's not how it works. If that's how it worked, Jesus didn't have to die. Does that make sense? We're thanking God. We're remembering what Jesus did to save us. So when Jesus offers us salvation and then we receive that gift and we say yes lord i'm a sinner and i need forgiveness and i know i can only get that in you when we when we embrace the gospel and trust in christ that's a that's a transaction that can't be revoked and so we thank god for salvation we celebrate the unity of the body of christ that our fellowship together Our fellowship together is based on the experience of our common salvation. So it's not just for us, the fact that we share in a relationship. That's why we say we're a a family, a spiritual family. Okay, thank God for salvation. Celebrate the unity of the body. Number three, remember the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf. So we see that again in verses 24 and 25. The body of Christ has been broken for you. The blood of Christ has been shed for you. In verse 25... Uh, Paul writes that in the same way Jesus took the cup after supper, and he said, "This cup is the new covenant in my blood." Now, what's significant about that? You remember the covenant that God made with His people the, under Moses. And what happened to, to the the children of Israel under that covenant? What did they do? How did they how did they handle that? How, did, how well did they do on their part of their side of the covenant? Not too good. Not too good. They continually rebelled. They got in, they were in bondage in Egypt, you know, in the Exodus, and God brought them out. And as soon as they got out of Egypt, they already started complaining. You know, they, they had to go wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And on and on and on and on. The Old Testament shows us how Israel was unfaithful to the covenant. But this is a new covenant. It's a new covenant in the blood of Jesus. And that's always going to be successful it's always going to do what it's supposed to do so remembering the significance of jesus death is an important component of observing the lord's supper and obedience to christ's command because he says do this in remembrance of me so when we remember the significance of jesus death and see over the years uh, we're in that uh, larger category of evangelical protestant christians and and that whole group of people has consistently been united on the importance of limiting participation in the lord's supper to those who've made a personal commitment to, to follow jesus why do you think that's important why do we say uh, we should examine yourself? And why do we say, hey, this is, if you're a Christian, it doesn't matter if you're a member of this church, if you're a Christian, this table, this observance is for you. Because you're a Christian, that means you're covered by the blood of Jesus. That means you're remembering His sacrifice. It's not about church membership. It's about uh, Christian membership. Okay? But why do, we, why do we say that? Why do I caution people? Hey, if you are if not yet a Christian, first of all, Praise the Lord you're here to observe and to to see the meaning. But if you're not a Christian, just observe. Don't partake. Why is that important? Because that's what the Bible says. That's a safe thing to do. Because the Bible says, we'll see here in just a moment, if we do this with the wrong intention or the wrong motive, and we haven't discerned the body and the blood of Christ that was sacrificed on our behalf, if we do that wrong... In our hearts, the Bible says we're eating and drinking judgment on ourselves. So the loving thing to do for those who have not yet professed faith in Christ and followed Him, just just observe. Because we don't want to encourage judgment on someone. Does that make sense? So that that's following Scripture to say, I don't want... God to judge you because you were uninformed or you didn 't understand the significance of this act so so just hold off as you you know prayerfully, if you follow jesus if if he saves you and forgives you of your sins, then there'll be a time when you participate, but until that happens, hold off, hold off because Jesus says this is the um, new covenant in my blood and so that like i said that mosaic covenant made with israel constantly broken because of israel's sin it was replaced with this new covenant and jesus blood provided complete atonement for all the sins of god's people past present and future so that's why it's better the new covenant is so much better because jesus did it jesus did it so let's see where we are here thank god for salvation Celebrate the unity of the body. Remember the sacrifice of Christ. Number four, proclaim the sacrifice of Christ. You see what what Paul writes here? Verse 26, after he explains what Jesus did with the bread and then with the cup, then he says in verse 26, As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. This is a a proclamation of salvation. Salvation. That is provided by the body and blood of Christ. The fact that we're just screaming out, Jesus died for us. He, broke, he allowed His body to be broken. He allowed His blood to be spilled. And because of that, we're recipients of the free gift of salvation. So we're proclaiming that message. This is an opportunity... For evangelism, to preach the gospel, to explain that Jesus Christ came to this earth to save sinners, not good people. Sinners. And by the way, there are no good people. It's not good and bad. It's bad and Jesus. Those are the two categories. Only Jesus is is good. That's why we need him so badly. So we proclaim this word here. Is, uh, it's a Greek word that actually literally means proclaim. Karangelo, it's, a, it's a very kin to the, uh, the word where we get evangelism. It's in that same family. And so it's clear from verse 26, the, the proclamation of the gospel happens not only through our words. It's an opportunity for evangelism. Preach the gospel of Jesus. Help people understand the substitutionary atonement. Of Christ. That's that's probably the greatest phrase in New Testament theology. Substitutionary atonement. That tells us everything we need to know about what Jesus did. The atonement means he paid for our sins. The substitutionary means he stood in our place. We deserve the punishment. He took it. He took our punishment. He didn't deserve any punishment. Because he never sinned. We deserve it all. But he stood in our place and took our punishment. So we proclaim that gospel message through the table here. Number five, preach the gospel until Jesus returns. You see that in verse 26, that last little phrase, until he comes? So this is why the two ordinances of the church are baptism and the Lord's Supper. Because both of those give us the opportunity... To preach the gospel. You know why Baptist churches are so adamant about immersion? Well, one, it's because that's what the Bible teaches, and that's every instance of baptism in the Bible is that way. But also because visually, we just had baptism last Sunday. You remember what it looked like? Remember Pastor Todd was standing up there with Rebecca? And and what did he do? He laid her down in the water. He brought her back up. You know what that looks like? You know why we say it from Romans chapter 6? Buried with Christ in baptism. Raised to walk in newness of life. That's that's scripture from Romans chapter 6. But you see the visual? We are identifying with the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. Visually. So everybody who sees baptism, you see buried just like Jesus was. We're dead to sin, alive to Christ. We're raised to a new life, just like Jesus was, because of what Jesus did. So we're preaching the gospel until he returns. When we do baptism, when we observe the Lord's Supper, we're proclaiming, preaching the gospel message. And we do that until we don't have to do it anymore, which is when Jesus comes back. Until he comes. It's a prophetic, uh, you heard the word eschatological The eschaton, the end times, it's a feast that points to that. It serves to remind the assembled fellowship of Jesus that his ordinance will not endure forever. It's something that's been commanded for observance in the church until Jesus returns. Number six, last one. This this is potentially the most important for us each time we come to the table. Examine yourself before you come to the table. If you look in the Scripture here, verse 28 specifically, but the the language surrounding that in verse 27, 29, and 30, and even 31 for that matter, the command is in verse 28, a man must examine himself, and in so doing eat the bread and drink the cup. Why is that important? Here's why. The Bible tells us in this passage... Uh, What what does it mean? Examine means let a man put himself on trial. And this trial is not an exposure of himself to the judgment of others. This is why it's it's an individual moment. When you need to do business with God, that business is between you and God. If you have something going on in your heart and you need to, to deal with that and God has uh, by His Holy Spirit, put some conviction in your heart, and let you realize that there's something in your heart, or your life, or your mind, or or your actions that is not honorable to Him. And you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and you realize, "Hey, I need to, I need to deal with that." So you spend time alone with God, and you let Him deal with that with you. This is not. You, did you hear what I said? It's not. Exposing ourselves to the judgment of other people, it's the judgment of God, the discipline, so to speak, of God. It's an intense searching of our own hearts with the desired end of finding those features of life that are unacceptable to, to God, and then confessing them, and then approaching the Lord's table. We confess our sins. You remember First John chapter one and verse nine? If we confess our sins, w- what does God do? He's faithful and just, and He will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what we do before we get here. We don't need unresolved... Listen, we don't need unresolved issues in our lives before we come to this table. We examine ourselves not just to deal with any unconfessed sin, but also to ensure that we have properly understood, do you hear me? Properly understood what's happening here. We need to go to this table with our eyes wide open and our minds fully uh, connected, engaged to what is happening. Have we properly understood this unselfish, atoning nature of Jesus' death And how that should be then imitated in our own lives. He gives us an example of what we're supposed to do. There's a phrase in here. Well, it's in verse 27 and verse 29. In verse 27, uh, Paul says, uh, If you eat the bread or drink the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, then you're guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Then in verse 29 it says, If you do not judge the body rightly or without discerning the body. And so, regardless of how we understand that phrase, because some, some think it means that it's not understanding that the bread represents the body that was sacrificed for us, or others talk about that Paul's not talking about the blood uh, anymore, so maybe it's just to conclude that Paul maybe has moved beyond the meaning of the bread to the idea of the church as a gathering of the body. But without discerning the body, basically, is not understanding that Christians since we are the body of Christ, are supposed to actually act like Christ. What a concept. We belong to Jesus. We claim to follow Jesus. So what are we supposed to be doing? Living like Jesus, right? That's what a Christian is supposed to be doing. For our sake, for the sake of those around us, as a, as a witness that we provide we don't recognize the spiritual reality of what's happening at the Lord's Supper. Therefore, we're acting in a way potentially that dishonors Christ. So these purposes that we find here uh, at, the, at this table, thanking God for salvation, celebrating the unity of our body, remembering the sacrifice of Christ, proclaiming the sacrifice of Christ, preaching until Jesus returns, and then our self-examination. Those things are all vital components of what we're doing here. We need to really understand why is it, why do why do churches do this? We can't afford to forget what Jesus did. Does that make sense? Here's here's why that's important. And then we're going to we'll come to the table and and actually uh, observe you know what happens if we forget what Jesus did? You know why that it's worded that way? Do this in remembrance. Why do you think Jesus would say that? Why do you think he would say it that way? Remember. It's not a trick question. You know why? Because he knew we're prone to forget. That's our tendency, is to forget about this. Here's how it looks in practical action um somebody i feel does me wrong and so i don't like that and so i'm tempted to respond according to my flesh get mad maybe say something i shouldn't or maybe act in a way i shouldn't and certainly not offer forgiveness if somebody does me wrong no 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 certainly not offer forgiveness right that's the temptation. I'm just, I'm just giving you a personal... This isn't just me. I'm not applying this to any of you, but I'm just saying that's my personal uh, temptation. If I feel like I've been done wrong, that's how. that's the way I would like to react. Now, if I'm constantly remembering what Jesus did for me, if I'm constantly remembering that Jesus allowed His body to be broken for me and His blood to be shed for me. And this gospel, I'm preaching the gospel to myself and remembering the sacrifice of Christ on my behalf, remembering how much Jesus had to forgive me because all the sin in my life. If that is the, the forefront of my mind, how, how do you think that would affect how I would treat someone else? But see, if I forget all that, if I forget what Jesus did, then in all likelihood, I'm going to be more likely to respond in a different way. But see, if I'm remembering this consistently, then I'm more likely to respond like Jesus did. That's why it's so important. That's why Jesus said, remember. Remember my sacrifice. Remember what I did for you. Remember what that meant. Remember, remember all the sin I had to deal with at the cross. So this is what we're supposed to do as Christians. So those are the six, or six, not these six, but six purposes we find at the Lord's table. What about if we don't do it? What, are, what about the consequences for disobedience? Godly Discipline. Verse 32, when we're judged, we're disciplined by the Lord so we will not be condemned along with the world. The chief purpose of self-examination is to allow ourselves to be disciplined by God so we will not be judged with the world. So we do that. We examine ourselves. We, we look at ourselves clearly, objectively before we approach the Lord's table. And as we do... God's discipline in our lives will sanctify us toward the image of Christ and save us from the Lord's judgment. I mean there's there's a possibility of consequences. You see what Paul says here in verse thirty, for this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have died. There are there are consequences for our actions, everyone the so failing to discern the lord's body is an indication not only of the lack of understanding of the nature of the supper but also a failure to maintain the fellowship of the body. You could look at we won't look at it right now but Hebrews chapter 12 verses 5 through 11 is a beautiful picture of the father's discipline, godly father. So a clear benefit of the lord's table is that we consistently be trained by the father's godly discipline so that we may benefit from what Hebrews 12, 11 says, the, the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Folks, all this is about just living for Jesus, not just for our own sake, but for the sake of our body, and for the sake of our community, for the sake of the world, for the sake of others. You know who Jesus died for? Others. It wasn't for his own sin, it was for ours, it was for mine. It was focused on others. And we need to remember that when we come to this table. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. And it's about what he did for all of us. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.